Hey everyone, and welcome to the CNS Podcast. It's just another trucking podcast, and I'm Luke, your host, and with us today, we have our friends from RT Specialty to talk about trucking insurance from an underwriter's perspective, and this should be interesting because not a lot of owners of transportation companies get to talk directly to the underwriter, and uh, it's usually your agent, and that's why it's so important to work with a trucking-specifically-focused trucking insurance agent like CNS Insurance. Uh, so, Thank you guys for joining me today. We have uh, Denny Beecher from, or the president of RT Jonestown, Pennsylvania, and Cheryl Vosek, uh, the director of compliance and underwriting for, with RT. Uh, thanks for joining me and welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Lou. Thank you. Uh, so to get started, really just, Denny, can you tell me a little bit about yourself and what is RT specialty? Sure. So um, I first got insurance license like one year out of college. I started on the retail side, but I moved into transportation insurance 29 years ago, believe it or not. Nice. So I've been a transportation underwriter, do nothing in insurance other than underwrite transportation risks. I've done that for 29 years. Uh, my focus is primarily middle to larger fleets. And I also act as the president of RT Johnstown and we have a staff of about 25 underwriters. Wow. So part of my role as well is to keep all our underwriters wrapped together, rowing in the same direction, you know, working on, on trucking risks and, and thinking as a group. And what got you originally into the insurance industry or trucking specific? Hmm. So, uh, well, on the retail side, I did personal lines. Okay. And yep. personal lines are fun, but they're not as engaging, right? There's just not as much meat to a personal auto or a personal homeowner's policy. So I really wanted to get into underwriting or claims, and it was the underwriting path that opened up for me. Cool. And Cheryl, you're the director of compliance and underwriting. What does that mean? What do you do? So with RT Johnstown, my background is... Um, I was 23 years with a carrier, with a company, so I kind of have that comp company perspective in underwriting and know what the carriers want. So my job with RT is to make sure that all of our underwriters are doing what our carriers want us to do. So we need to make sure that we follow their guidelines. We need to make sure that we are writing the risks and documenting our files, how they require us to do so, to make sure that I can protect our contracts with all of our carriers. Very interesting. Very cool. <laughs> so, and a lot of our viewers, they're new ventures, maybe looking to get into the trucking industry and want to grow to become a fleet. Are there things that they can do now from an underwriter's perspective to prepare them to have a good safety history to become, as they become a fleet, as they grow? Sure. I mean, a big part of our business is sorting through new ventures and, um, you know, and we have more new entrants than ever before, you know, attracted by very good freight rates, you know, there's a high demand for shipping services. So it's attracting a lot of good, talented entrants. Uh, and it's an underwriter's job to sort out, you know, what are the best ones with the best potentials and what are the not so good ones? So, you know, things we look for are, are you know, traffic lanes, you know, I ideally in you know, less populated areas, right. although freight has to move in both, but that's part of, you know, underwriting, just looking at where the vehicles are moving. Um, we also tend to prefer, you know, contract 
carriage versus you know freight brokerage and, and we know you, you use freight brokers to get back and things like that but um you know familiarity with the commodity familiarity with the route of travel does a lot better on loss experience for insurers than does you know something different each day um, and then technologies you know technologies that you know when i started in underwriting we never really talked about safety technology and that's gps's and e-logs and certainly cameras you know at least forward-facing cameras for right. protection from claims um, but you know so we're talking a lot about safety technologies today too and those are questions we may ask of a new entrant something that i would like to add to that um, so another thing that we look for with new ventures would be the driver's experience and their history. Right. And we need to check and make sure that they have a safe operating history. Their motor vehicle report shows that they operate safely and they, that they have the proper experience. We don't want somebody that just got their CDL in a standard market. Right. You know, there are markets that will write a new venture, potentially if you haven't had your CDL as long. But typically in a standard market, we want drivers that have, have experienced driving a tractor trailer before they get in and do it on their own. Yeah, and we see a lot of companies, trucking companies, hey, I have a trucking company, there's my brother, there's my cousin, uh, he, got, he just got a CDL because I want to hire him, he's family. Is that low history, safety history, I guess, currently? Would you prefer as underwriters to see him work maybe for a mega fleet first for a couple of years before going on to a smaller fleet? Would that be helpful for insurance uh, in that perspective? Yeah, typically, so in a standard market, you we look for two years experience driving okay. a like vehicle. Yep. So yes, typically they start off with a motor carrier, probably mm -hmm. a bigger motor carrier because a lot of the smaller motor carriers in a standard market typically don't have those inexperienced drivers. Right. So in a standard market specifically, you would typically look for two years experience over and, the road. And it's interesting because there's the new uh, pilot program for the under 21 uh, interstate drivers. Technically, this pilot program is supposed to have a lot of safety data involved in it to sort of prove that they're being safe, but they're still under 21 driving interstate as far as insurance perspective, it's really hard to write to you guys. What's your perspective on that? I think it'll be really interesting, and we'll have to, this will unfold through time like yeah. lots of things do, what insurers' perceptions or takes are on it. You know, it, it's been odd to me anyhow. So we could, you can get a CDL at age 18, mm -hmm. but drive intrastate only. Right. So imagine intrastate driving from the center of Texas, maybe going 1,000 miles, versus the center of Rhode Island. Right. You know, so, you know, there's never been a radius delineation there anyhow. But when you cross the state line, you've had to be, you had to be age 21 for interstate commerce. Right. So the new pilot program says we're going to pilot, you know, with drivers as young as 18 in interstate commerce, you know, subject to technology, subject to oversights and training. So I'm kind of excited about that. We need new drivers yeah, in the industry. Exactly. But some insurance companies, especially those with the, the most preferred pricing, are probably not going to stretch into that segment because we do know there's higher risk hazard with younger drivers. So, um, But the insurance industry always finds capacity, and there will be other companies. The price point may be a bit higher. Right. 
but I expect other companies to accept those younger drivers. And um, we need an influx of drivers in the industry. And hasn't it always been a problem, too? It's even hard to start a career. Right. Uh, you graduate high school typically at age 17 or 18, and you really can't become an interstate CDL driver till 21. So you have to go do something else for yeah. a while. So this, this fixes some of those things. And I'm excited to say it. Good, good. I like to hear that. I was a little worried that it'd be like, hey, you finished your, you know, your pilot program and now you still have two years before you can potentially get hired because of risk. But it's good to hear that. Yeah, big fleets, you know, they yes. have a lot more abilities to train. Right. So uh, you'll definitely see that as a motor carrier. You know, smaller motor carriers are really hard to hire young and inexperienced drivers because they don't have all the safety technologies. They may not have full-time driver trainers or full-time safety personnel. And those things start to become evident or more commonplace in larger fleets. And that's why there's always been more tolerance to train younger drivers or to bring inexperienced drivers you know, into larger fleets, typically 50 plus power units, and, and they have a lot more freedom for those things. Yeah, that makes sense. And I know one of the things you mentioned um, for newer fleets as they grow, you mentioned focusing on a commodity. Is there certain commodities that are more higher risk than others? Absolutely. So um, one of the commodities that we find the most challenging is our tankers. Yeah. So if you have an old tanker trailer that doesn't have, that's not baffled, which are sort of firewalls that prevent like the sloshing and tipping, um, that's one of the most challenging. Um, I think we have the same challenge with livestock haulers. Mm. So you have commodities that can shift the load. The driver's not necessarily in control of that load shifting. Um, so that's definitely one that, that causes challenges or is more challenging um, to write. Um, we do have reefer commodities. I was wondering, yeah. Yeah, reefer commodities, you know, you have um, temperature control issues, which right. can cause cargo claims. Um, I think from an auto liability standpoint, reefer commodities are pretty desirable, but they're challenging right. on the cargo right. side. Right. You know, oversize, overweight, what do you think about that one, Cheryl? I think those can pose challenges. Um, I think if you, one thing that we definitely underwrite for is if you are writing these challenging commodities, whether it be oversize, overweight, which then you get into needing pilots and you yeah. need to make sure that your loads, um, that you map your route and make sure you don't hit bridges. Because um, PennDOT engineers are pretty expensive, <laughs> aren't they, when yes. we run into a bridge? Right. So, so yeah, oversize, overweight. I think the biggest thing that we look for in some of these more challenging commodities are experience in hauling those commodities. Right. We don't want a general freight um, dry goods hauler to just branch out and dabble in livestock or oversize, overweight. We want somebody that knows and understands those challenges and has an experienced history with those commodities versus just kind of dabbling. Thoughts on dumps? I wanted to ask that one too <laughs> while we're here. Dumps are very challenging. <laughs> um, dump trucks are tough. Typically they're older units. Right. Um, your commodities are cheaper, but from a liability perspective, which is really where the bulk of your claims come from, you know, they, they really start to mushroom out of control on the auto liability side. Dump trucks are definitely challenging. Um, 
Now, is that because, you know, dump trucks, they got to focus on drive. Every metro area has to have a dump truck. Obviously, there's more accidents potentially in larger cities, things like that. Is that where the liability comes in? Uh, location, metro, potential accidents? Or is it age of the vehicle like you've mentioned before? Or what else? So we, we do write an awful lot of dump trucks, by the way. The, the physical damage, I mean, when you raise the yeah. bed, sometimes they roll over. And they're very expensive a to replace. A lot of times they tip over. Um, <laughs> the liability side... So, you know, that's usually when we run into somebody else or something else. You know, the property damage is always easy, easier right. than the bodily injury. So one of the challenges I think there's always been in the dump truck industry is they tend to be paid by the load or by the ton. Right. So, you know, it creates an incentive to perhaps overload the truck, run a little faster, especially now it's Christmas, right? Yeah. One more load, a few extra tons on the truck you know, a little more money. So it, it's a better dump truck risk if they're paid per hour, but that is less common as well. Um, and sometimes you'll see underwriters ask those questions, you know, how are you paid? And that's what they're after there, you know, just trying to segregate. You know, we feel it's a softer exposure when there is less of an incentive to drive fast. And I've seen a lot of carriers where if you, you pull up them, the, them on the safer and they've selected every commodity, uh, thinking, hey, uh, hey, look, I look good. I can do anything. Is that good or bad on an insurance perspective? You know, um, underwriting, sorting that out. Yeah. So um, we're always going to match the application with what's been told to the regulatory bodies. Right. So it's going to be questions from the underwriters. Most insurance companies will not find a problem with it. They're going to ask if they understand it. Well, we yeah. put some things we might haul but we really don't haul today. We don't have really any particular concerns about okay. that. But I think your underwriters are going to come back to you and say, you know, your application doesn't show this commodity, but your DOT, your MCS 150, and your safer report do show right. it. Can you explain? Well, and that's interesting. The other things that maybe the underwriter will come back and ask questions on, what are the most common things that you see being issues, maybe a, a smaller fleet to a larger fleet? So let's talk, uh, I'll, I'll lead you, because I'd love to hear your perspective on this show. You look at so many accounts that are referred up to you. So how about drivers? Like when I send an account to you and I say, Cheryl, can you look at this? Like what, what do you need to see on drivers? Like what makes it good and, you know, in your best pricing bands and what makes it not so good and you're going to either maybe move away from the risk? We've already talked about experience, but what other factors? Well, so other factors are driving record. And um, if you're, you know, it, it depends, smaller fleet, larger fleet, right. um, you know, small fleet, you have fewer drivers. Um, we want to see if it's a single unit and specifically a new venture. Typically, carriers want to see that that owner is a driver. Right. They have a little bit of skin in the game. It's their truck. They aren't being hired and running somebody else's truck. Um, good driving record. Um have you had, have you been involved in claims? You know, when we look at loss runs, have you been playing bumper trucks? You know, if, if we have a history of, you know, violations on your motor vehicle report and you've got claims, you might be a, not as desirable of a driver. Right. Now with, from, you know, as you add drivers and you have a fleet perspective, you might have a certain percentage of drivers that have no violations. You right. kind of look more at the overall driver profile 
than the driver individually. You still look individually right. and check their record and their claims history, but you also look at the overall profile. And if you do have, you know, a, a driver profile where you have many drivers with violations or accidents, it's a less desirable driver profile. Um, we also do look at driver turnover. I was going to ask so about that. Yeah. As, as you mentioned, going from a small fleet to a large fleet, um, we do want to make sure that you don't expand too rapidly. Right. And if you do have rapid growth, that might not be a standard market risk. We really have to look at how much turnover do you have in a year? How many drivers have you been hiring? Are you hiring and firing? Right. Um, so we do look very much at turnover. Yeah. And with growth, we, we prefer it to be slow and steady. Right. So slow and steady shows us that you're growing, but you control that risk. And is every, like, it seems like different insurance companies, carriers have different numbers they like to say. Maybe it's three drivers in a year, that's too quick, or sometimes progressive, seven drivers in a year, that's too quick, but underneath that, maybe, like, is there a number that you tend to see? Well, I think it depends on the size of the account. True. You know, if you have a single unit risk, and if you're a new venture, and you try to add your buddy, and you're expanding, Mm -hmm. a lot of carriers don't like that. If you're a new venture, so within first, second, sometimes third year, depending on the carrier, they don't want to see that growth right away. They want you to drive, understand the trucking industry, regulations, requirements, and then as you get that experience under your belt, you start to hire drivers and buy trucks or have owner-operators. But we really want that growth to be after you're experienced and slow and um, controlled. And I think one of the things that, you know, is always a concern or a driver of this whole thing, you know, the concern over growth, is when insurers analyze their book of business, you know, time and time and time again, you know, these are usually independent studies, just an insurer looking at their own book of business, but more than 60% of the claims come from drivers in their first year of employment. Yeah. So, you know, a driver who understands the employer's expectations, the uh, requirements of the shipper, the safe handling uh, procedures for the commodity being hauled, the routes to travel, much more likely to perform favorably than somebody learning that for the first time. So the, the less new drivers on the roster, the more favorable the risk and the more better the performance tends to be. And if you grow fast, I mean, you have to add drivers. Yeah. those trucks. So that's why yeah. that enters in there a lot. And with, with the turnover, I was curious because like the turnover rate, larger fleet, if they lose half their drivers, it's a 50% turnover. A small fleet that has five drivers, if they lose four drivers, that's an 80% turnover rate. Is there a, a, a factor into that that you guys see in insurance? You, are you more aware of that? Well, for truckload carriers, right. you know, the average turnover rate approaches 100%. For LTL carriers, it's a little better in the 60-70% range. But for best insurance pricing, like the best pricing from the best markets who really go after, you know, the really best-in-class accounts and have best-in-class premium, probably 25% one-year turnover. Uh, Above that, you're starting to have some trouble. Maybe up to 30 35% would be some tolerance. And two-year turnover, you know, 60% or below. So better than industry average, of course, is what those insurers would like to see. Sounds good. And I know uh, we haven't talked too much about safety tech. You've mentioned um, drivers trying to 
get quickly to finish up a load. I know a lot of the worries when the ELDs, electronic logging devices, were were pushed out 2018, was that that was going to force a timer, a hard limit on uh, them to meet their hours of service and maybe speed because of that or you know, other ways that they try to fudge uh, their numbers. Did you, do you guys see data on the ELD uh, uh, causing any of that kind of issue on an insurance or risk side? I think the ELDs have made the industry safer. Yeah. You know, there's, um, you know, it forces adherence to that 11 hour role and it probably makes us a little safer. Um, We see some um, safety score challenges, you know, in like the hours of service category and it, it would be good to talk a little bit, I wanted to ask Cheryl too about safety scores and what her, her take is on those. But so we'll see people with um, um, violations in the hours of service category. Right. But you know, uh, improper log form and manner or uh, non-compliant ELD device is a much less concerning violation yes. than is driving beyond the hours of duty status. And what's great about the ELD, those telematic devices gather so much more data on you know engine and and um, you know, just the vehicle history itself, maintenance, things like that. Is that data um, useful for underwriters? If there's, is, are there ELD reports, telematic reports that you guys look forward to when writing insurance? There are, there are tech insurers today who right. actually require you to plug in their device. Right. And mostly they're looking at routes of travel. Okay. You know, they want to know where the operations are. And, you know, I think we would agree, Cheryl, right, that certain areas... If same claim that happens here oh, versus there, yes. the degree of fault or the amount of the award tends to be higher in certain areas. So right. that's one of the reasons why insurers will look to ELD data and why some insurers actually require their own plug-in device. They want to monitor you know, where the truck's going and build some rates around that. We're able to insure all locations, right? You know, but there may be some rate deviation. You know. That's definitely one. Yeah, that's one, a very good reason. Um, I think another use, not specifically from ELDs, but from telematics units, um, if we have an insured that uses telematics, it's definitely a risk that's better in class than probably the average. Right. And if they have somebody that's managing that data and yeah. really monitoring their drivers, you know, you get a lot of information on, you know, fast uh starting harsh and braking, hard stops harsh and yeah. yes, yes. lane departure you get a lot of information and if they're using that data to manage their drivers you have first off you you know big brother obviously keeps a lot of us in check if we know somebody's watching we're going to behave a little bit better right um and then also if you know there are consequences if you have these driving behaviors it just promotes a better safety culture from the top down right and in the end, or, you know, in turn, it's going to create a better risk. You're going to have safer driving behaviors, and you're going to manage those risks, and more likely in the loss run have fewer high-dollar claims. Right, and I know on the CNS compliance side, well, one of the things we recommend is if there's a, a red flag for harsh braking, harsh acceleration, maybe a pre-trip issue or something, we immediately want, recommend that they get video training on that topic so they get certificate saying, hey, we're trying to improve from this error or this ish potential issue before it becomes a bigger issue. Do you see 
video training programs, maintenance programs, things like that, driver training programs that help show less risk? So when I started in underwriting, we looked at drivers, right. losses, and DOT performance. But our DOT performance was pretty much just out of service rates. Right. And you have conditional or, or satisfactory conditional unsat. You know, but today we got a lot more data through the SMS system. And so we're looking at, you know, non-out-of-service violations. But so but those three components, even though we've gotten better and more depth in the safety underwriting, you know, those those drivers losses DOT compliance have always been the core of underwriting. But where I really think it's interesting is we've expanded to a fourth item that wasn't prevalent. It wasn't here at the beginning of my career. And that fourth ev- or that fourth category is safety technologies. Right. You know, mm-hmm. the cameras, oh, the definitely. ELDs, mm-hmm. maybe the lane departure systems, you know, all these things help make the road safer. And do you see, so obviously we recommend fleets getting that safety tech into their fleet. Does that make them better right away? Does it improve their insurance rates right away? Do you have to wait for the data for a year to collect that data and see how people use that data? What, what do you see on that? Is it just implementing or is it more than that? I think, I, I think so most carriers will um, agree that there is a savings right. from, you know, in claims, dollars paid for using this technology. I'm not sure that Everybody has, all the carriers have the data as far as how much that savings is quite yet. Yes. So I think there's there's a lot of controversy around whether you give that savings up front. And we do have some, I know of a couple of carriers that do provide a small discount, probably 5%. Um, okay. Maybe 10 up front if you're using that technology. I think the bigger saving is going to be in the end when you have a better safety record and you have kind of a proven track record of good performance, I think you're going to have savings in the end by not having claims. Right. And if you're a fleet, you get into experience rating, you're going to have a better experience rate because you're not going to have those claims. Um, non-fleet, I think eventually the some of the data is there. You know, the, the industry has been collecting the data for the last few years, but I think techno- technology and the camera use is still fairly new, yeah. and a lot of motor carriers just haven't bought into it yet. They're starting to now. It's definitely much more widely accepted with the use of cameras. You know, nobody wants a camera looking at them when they're driving, but if you have a an outward-facing camera, you can definitely um, see liability. You know, you definitely have a defense right. that the trucker may not be at fault for a claim, and I think the savings is going to come in the end from claims yes. and experience rating. So speaking of claims, nuclear verdicts, things like that are that are on the rise. Are there ways that carriers can sort of be proactive in uh, you know those kind of claims? Is there a way that they can prepare for those kind of claims ahead of time, uh, knowing that that it's out there? You know, so much is the safety culture. Yeah, because. Uh, the trial or the plaintiff attorneys tend to try the motor carrier and not the circumstances of the loss so much. Right. So they'll try and paint a picture to a jury that, you know, the, the motor carrier has a pattern of unsafe behavior behaviors or the driver has a pattern right. of unsafe behaviors. So the cleaner your loss histories, the cleaner the driver's MVRs, the easier defensibility becomes. 
The camera certainly helps. Now we have video evidence. Uh, and the next thing is just being involved in the claim process. We know in the insurance industry that every hour delay in reporting a claim costs more dollars on the other end. Mm -hmm. So get your claim team involved immediately with prompt reporting. Uh, that'll yield some benefits on the back end too. Agree. Yeah, I was going to ask that. So if an accident happens, it and inevitably will, basically, if you're in the business long enough, uh, regardless of fault, even if they've been clean for so long, an accident can happen. As far as on the risk side, what should a carrier do to prepare, like just beforehand, before an accident happens, during an accident, you mentioned file that claim right away, or even after an accident happens, um, what can carriers do to help limit the, say, insurance bump that they're going to receive down the road? Participate in the claim process, um, you know, make that prompt reporting. Again, the, the faster we get involved, the more we can mitigate the loss. Right. Um, so those are probably the things. Yeah, and, you know, I hate to say it, but the use of cameras, you know, really takes away that he said, she said. Right. And as, you, as Denny mentioned, um, typically the motor carrier is going to be not viewed positively, they're going to pay a claim that, in my opinion, sometimes maybe they shouldn't have. And I think the use of cameras can really help um, prove liability and maybe take that claim away completely. You right. know, there, there could be liability on the claimant vehicle and not necessarily the insured vehicle that sometimes the carriers would pay out because they it's not worth fighting. You know, they're going to pay hundreds of thousands of dollars in legal fees trying to defend a claim. So sometimes they'll settle to avoid those legal fees, and these cameras can really help take those legal fees away and reduce settlements by showing liability not, you know, being the fault of the trucker. And speaking of sort of the future that's coming, uh, there's been a lot of chat about from the government specifically wanting to increase insurance min, uh, premium minimums from 750,000 a mil anyway, because that's what brokers want to 2 million. Sometimes you hear as high as 5 million as insurance or underwriters. What's your perspective on that? What would that do to small fleets, big fleets? Yeah. So Luke, this, this talk has been there as long as I've been in the business, mm -hmm. which is, you know, pushing 30 years. We established this limit in 1980. The Motor Carrier Act of right. 1980 said you need at least $750,000 of financial responsibility to haul in interstate commerce. Yeah. And then there's slightly higher levels if you're engaged in any degree of hazardous material hauling. So if you think about 1980 to the present, Prices Inflation. have moved, right? <laughs> um, so, but this comes up, and I think every four years there's a, a, a reoccurring study: is the limit adequate? But it creates a lot of controversy. Yes. You know, the attorneys from the other side will say no. You know, they want to create a bigger slush fund. Um, but the ATA, you know, very very good advocate for the truck insurance industry, they'll correctly report show reports that say 99% of the claims are settled within a million dollars. So the limit is adequate. So there's some, you know, it's been a debate right. that never seems to get to an end because we have powerful lobbyists on both sides arguing their cases. Um, and Atri did a study, you know, what would be the financial impact of the trucking industry? Well, there would be some. Yeah. The insurance industry can provide the capacity. 
Right. You know, we can do $2 million limits. We can do $5 million limits. You know, there's reinsurance even that we can seek, seek out, but we have to pass those costs on to the truckers. So that means there's going to be more costs for insurance. And what will that do to an already stressed industry struggling to find drivers, you know, where there's more demand for shipping than there is capacity to fill it? Do we want to stress that industry farther? It's a political football, and we've been discussing that for all the years I've been in the business. I think we'll continue to discuss, to discuss it for a long time until we see anything fine, anything really enacted. Well, and to, I guess, continue this one step further, if you think large scale, 90% of, of uh, trucking companies are owner-operators, and if regulations, government, everything is trying to basically push owner-operators out and get basically hired under a f- basically smaller fleets, what would that do long-term? What, what would it look like on the insurance perspective if it went from 90% owner-operators to 50%? Does that affect rates at all? be interesting yeah right so um, right now you can you know just about anybody can get their own authority yeah. with some applications but suddenly if you all start hauling under somebody else's authority you know do we become safer safer with some safety oversight maybe yeah but what's it do to capacity what's it do to the american way of ingenuity you know right. go out and you know find your own way you can be your own person and your own boss and make your own fortunes in america so i don't want to stifle private industry i think it's a really important component of our economy yeah i agree and it, it, i mean the future is always interesting to look at i mean you got you mentioned safety tech and that's just constantly changing uh, we've seen the the push for ev adoption semi trucks ev uh, electric vehicles uh, and on top of that you're looking at automation um, and basically kicking the driver out of the vehicle eventually. Do you see, I mean, the long-term trend looking forward, what is just your perspective as insurance? This is what I think would be great. Or um, I don't know, what, what do you look forward to when you look into the future, the crystal ball? I think that's really interesting. Um, so I think autonomous vehicles, if, Every single vehicle on the road was autonomous, and we did not have one driver that could make a human decision. That might be the only way in my mind that I think that could work. Right. Because if you have somebody driving a vehicle making a decision, then their decision could impact all the other vehicles. I personally don't, I don't see how you could have a tractor trailer that doesn't have a driver not even just for for driving but what if you have a breakdown who's going to put the or an accident who's going to put the the cones out yeah good point you know i think i always in my mind envision that there will be a person in a truck right no it makes sense and that's, those are good good points because i mean i know there's so much stuff that they're uh, they're looking at and considering doing and i know what there's too simple there's tesla there's others that are looking into this but man so much it's technology yeah can help us right yeah but you know we have that you know we worried in our industry our underwriters going to get replaced yeah with you know online programs no right. you know simple tasks can be performed by online programs complex tasks need to be performed by underwriters and i really think that's the way yeah. it is for the trucking industry we can create platooning you know for the trailer behind we can have some you know, technology to help the driver drive safer. But 
I, I don't envision, and I, I certainly hope I don't see a, a future where there aren't people in those trucks. I, you mm-hmm. know, right. we're invested in this industry. We want to see we want to see our people and exactly. our, our drivers and our motor carriers and you know gainfully employed for a long time to come. All right. So almost to wrap it up, we'll bring it back to sort of a takeaway uh, for fleets or or small fleets. Cap score reports. Uh, that's basically their history profile that you can that's gathered. What are typical red flags that you see pop up on those reports, and are they fixable? Are they? Does that if you can fix things that are uh, bad safety history data, will that improve your rates? Uh, say that by the next renewal that they might have. Yeah, we'll let Cheryl talk about the categories. One thing I want to lead into with. That's defensibility after a claim. Like so, this is a safety report card. Yeah, the insurance industry cannot defend somebody with a poor safety report card. We have to pay the claim, and we have to pay more than you think we should have to pay. So we have to charge more for the insurance rates. Just like a driver with multiple violations, maybe nothing's wrong at the time of the accident, but defensibility is very challenging. So we will we will offer settlement offer settlement at higher amounts than we will with the driver with the clean MVR. So all these scores are important. They add into your insurance rates. And of course, there's plenty of government studies and, you know, and there's some battling studies for sure, but showing that these scores do correlate with crash likelihood. So between higher costs for claim settlements, between higher crash likelihood, they definitely impact pricing. Which ones do you think are the most biggest drivers share like which ones should we be most concerned about or our motor carriers be most concerned about so i think um you know again i i agree i think that these scores are very predictive it's it's a predictive model if you will um and i think unsafe driving is definitely one because that's all about your driver sounds scary doesn't it it does your driver is what causes the claim Mm -hmm. And if you have unsafe driving behaviors, that can definitely cause claims. Um, controlled substance, that's definitely one yeah. um, that is very concerning. And to your point, are these fixable? Sure. I think everything's fixable. Is it going to be fixed by next renewal? Most likely not. Right. You know, I think it's going to take time. I think if you do get your, you know, if a motor carrier gets into a bind and, and allows these unsafe driving behaviors and they do have um, alerts and high vehicle and driver out of service scores, I think they are fixable. Your rates are going to be higher until they are fixed, but right. I think they can definitely be fixed, but it's going to take time. Right. I mean, MVRs, usually three years of history, eventually they'll fall off. Uh, if there's wrong violations, there's a data queue process, and that can potentially help uh, getting off of conditional rating things like uh, unconditional rating and things like that. Of course, I can see that making sense too. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's. Is there anything else that you wanted to chat about that I haven't brought up yet um, that you would like our audience to to hear about? No, I, th- I think I'm excited about the future. I, I mean, we're we're invested in the industry. Uh, Ryan Specialty Group, they have uh, tra- five offices who specialize in transportation insurance. We're one of those five. We're you know, involved in industry uh, events and education and just really committed to this. We're excited to be a part of it. And we're super excited by what Compliance Navigation Specialists offers on the safety and compliance side. What a good partner for the insurance industry. 
It makes motor carriers better, makes our claims lower, lowers the cost for us. It's good for all of us, right? Right. I agree. Well, uh, with that, I mean, there's a lot of takeaway from this interview, and I know our viewers will enjoy this. So thank you guys so much for joining me today. That wraps up this podcast. If you have any suggestions on who we should interview next, leave it in the comments below. If you have questions for our underwriters, I'm sure we can pass them along and try to answer them as well. So put that in the comments down below as well. If you like this conversation, give it a like, subscribe, and stay safe out there. Bye.